Hello, and welcome to Carrie Ann's Literature Corner. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Dillon, and today I'd like to talk about the difference or the journey between reading or just being literate and the idea of being a capital R reader. So let's take a quick look at the skills which comprise the act of reading. And after our first break, we'll talk about what it means to be a lifelong reader. Reading involves several components which do not come easily to everyone. The first thing involved in reading is called print awareness. And that's just recognizing that the squiggles on the page represent spoken language. Print awareness does involve functionality, which is knowing that the squiggles on the menu are food choices and the squiggles in the picture book are a story, as well as recognizing, well, for our purposes, that English is read from left to right, that words are made up of letters and words are separated by spaces. All of that falls under print awareness, which is the first requirement for being able to read. Following print awareness comes phonological and phonemic awareness. Phonological awareness contains a continuum of skills that build strength in one's awareness of speech sounds, such as alliteration, rhyme, syllabic count, etc. And the more complex level of phonological awareness is phonemic awareness, in which a reader can identify phonemes, which are the smallest unit of sound that have meaning, and manipulate them. And both of those skills are centered around a knowledge of oral language and, like I said, the ability to manipulate it, while phonics, which may be a more familiar term to some of you, has more to do with print. So phonics asks readers to take their knowledge of a letter sound and use it to decode an unfamiliar printed word. And early readers who have difficulty in these areas are slow to develop what we call fluency. And fluency occurs when a reader can recognize words and comprehend them at the same time. So that's the skill of mentally grouping words to parse meaning from complete ideas. And that ability frees up our brains to make connections to prior knowledge. And individuals who are not fluent, who are not fluent readers, particularly children in elementary school, may begin to feel like reading is a chore because the work of decoding piece by piece just takes a lot of the fun out of reading because you're not getting to the story, you're still trying to figure out each word. And an important thing to mention is that all readers have an easier time decoding words that we've heard before. So there are four vocabularies. Your speaking, listening, reading, and writing vocabularies are very, very important to develop because your speaking and writing vocabularies are the words that you use when speaking or writing. But the listening and reading vocabularies are made up of words that you need to know in order to understand what you're hearing or reading. So the correlation here is that exposure matters. The more words one has heard by your early years, the more words you've accumulated into your listening and your reading vocabulary. There's research that supports this idea that children who have been exposed just to more words in general, those children have a higher success rate of achieving reading fluency earlier. 
And of course, hand in hand with accumulating vocab is knowing how to spell it. If a child can spell a word, they can usually read it because spelling requires many of the same phonological and phonemic decoding skills as reading does. And, you know, when you get better at spelling, you develop a comfort with uh, patterns and specific variations of word structures, and that helps readers identify new things. All of this combines into the question of comprehension. I mentioned earlier that fluent read readers are able to simultaneously recognize and comprehend words, and this ability allows them to think about what they're reading as they read, which means they have the freedom to have complex reactions to content. Fluent readers are actively applying all four vocabularies, their own background knowledge and prior experiences to find connections between themselves and a text or themselves and how the text relates to the world around them. And as a result, fluent readers are more likely to seek out a book because they're interested in the story than readers who struggle in any of the aforementioned areas. I've had students who can read aloud a paragraph, but then have no idea what the content was. They m are missing the comprehension piece. Alternatively, I've had students with whom it's a struggle to get through a couple of sentences, but they at least understand what the sentences were about by the time we're done with them. So those are some of the important foundational skills involved in reading. And as I said, any trouble in any of those areas can make reading feel like a chore. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what it means to be a capital R reader and how different people achieve that in their lives. Welcome back to Carrie Ann's Literature Corner. So far, we've talked about the seven or so skills involved in developing the ability to read, and we're ready to talk about how someone gets from learning to read or struggling to read to becoming a capital R reader. So the other day, my dad sent me an article from The Atlantic titled, Why Do Some People Become Lifelong Readers? by staff writer Joe Pinsker. And the bottom line of the article seems to be that one's environment plays a huge part in establishing a friendly relationship with literature in the first place. Children who are not only raised in homes that have books, but in homes where books are respected as exciting, interesting, and special, tend to also develop a high level of personal enjoyment from reading. Children whose parents model reading as a worthwhile way to spend time and, of course, as a source of conversation and connection, internalize those same attitudes. That's not particularly surprising. And, of course, it's not universally true. Think of Matilda, if no one else. But it's not difficult to think of people in your own life to whom this might accurately apply. The article made sure to acknowledge that leisure time, during which one might choose to read, is a privilege that not all social brackets have. Whoever said, we all have the same 24 hours in a day, has never had to support their children as a single parent or worked three jobs to scrape together rent 
or had to rely on public transportation to get everywhere because we absolutely do not have the same 24 hours in a day. And Pinsker's article touches on research that identifies a reading class within American society, which is comprised of those who self-reported reading between 12 and 50 plus books per year that were not required of them, uh, which often turn out to be slightly more affluent urban suburban white folks. And Pinsker also mentioned some data from the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, that reflects a correlation between the level of education achieved by an individual and the amount that they read for pleasure outside of work or school and how that breaks down by race as well. So I wanted to talk about reading and reading because we have to versus being a capital R reader who seeks out stories for pleasure because I am a lifelong reader and that's a huge part of my identity. And sometimes I forget that not everyone wants to just curl up with a story at the drop of a hat. So I was talking to Carolyn Holden, who does the Shelf Expressions podcast with me, and we were talking about this idea. And I'm so glad that I brought it up with her because she had a very different foundational experience than I did. So I have her permission to share some of her experience with you. And she did not start out with the love of reading that she now possesses. Uh, she said to me that it was so difficult to read that she didn't want to do it. She told me about remembering sitting with her mom as her mom was trying to get her to read uh, a picture book early on, and that Carolyn was more interested in the colors and textures and how art could tell the story rather than the words could. And we agreed that that perhaps established her bias towards art and animation um, early on. We got that foot right in the door there. And she admitted that she resisted reading for a really long time. So I asked her if she could remember what aspect of reading was the problem. So earlier we talked about those seven different skills involved in reading. Uh, and I was curious to see if she remembered which area was the problem. And she said that she thought there were some decoding issues. And as I had mentioned, she felt like she just got frustrated that she wasn't good at it. She lacked confidence and so didn't want to do it. And it was very important that she mentioned that she had double kindergarten moved before first grade and moved again right before third. Because in my experience as an English teacher, nine times out of 10, when I encounter a student in my class who's reading below grade level by however much, it so often turns out that there was some upheaval in their lives between kindergarten, first and second grade. Some people think, oh, kindergarten, first grade, it's okay if we move because you don't do real learning till later. You're wrong <laughs> because those years, especially first and second grade, are so important for developing those initial reading skills. And it might have been moving, there might have been upheaval in a family situation, but the, all the students that I've had 
who were performing below grade level in reading had some sort of upheaval in that time in their lives, whether or not they also had, um, you know, different difficult circumstances later on, something happened in those early years that was disruptive to their uh, reading education. So Carolyn said that it turned out that she had a kindergarten reading level in the middle of second grade. And so her dad started to read to her at bedtime. And she said that they hadn't really been doing that so much before. If she did, she didn't really remember. It was in the much earlier, like, preschool years. And she says that she read with her dad every night. Uh, Pony Pals was the series. And the deal was that her father would read a page and then she'd read a page. So there was no jumping ahead or there was no finding out what was going to happen unless Carolyn did the reading. Uh, and so that increase in an oral vocabulary, hearing words being read to you, and active practice doing the decoding, it turns out by the end of second grade, she was reading on her own things like the Magic Treehouse series, and she said she liked a nonfiction story about like the creation of Braille, which is so Carolyn to have a, an amazing mix of fiction and nonfiction interests. And so her transition from struggling with reading to being able to do it on her own turned into becoming a reader when she moved to Connecticut for third grade. And she recalls that everybody else in the class was reading Harry Potter and she felt a little bit left out. I think her mom had offered it to her before, but it was thick. It's certainly a thicker book than any of the Magic Treehouse books. And I, she said that she was intimidated by it. But when she moved here and everybody was talking about it, she realized that in order to be included, to be part of this conversation, she had to read it too. And she was hooked. So by the time she got to fifth grade, after a couple of years of reading independently and reading more difficult material, she'd gotten over this decoding and fluency um, rough patch, and she was reading around an eighth grade level uh, by the end of fifth grade. So Carolyn's case is amazing that she found her way to being a capital R reader early on, even though she had been struggling. Because unfortunately, sometimes these problems slip through the cracks. Sometimes not all students are in a place where resources are available to them to fix or address any of these problems. And not everybody is able to come out of these challenges feeling like reading is something that they still care about. So I think my dad deserves the pat on the back that he was giving himself when he sent me the How Do People Become Lifelong Readers article, because he and my mom created an environment where all creative literacies were nurtured while being presented as a matter of course. It was like, of course I would be able to read books and play instruments so that I could share the closest thing to magic we have on this earth with the people around me. And of course I would be able to meet the characters my parents loved and become friends with them myself. And I am so lucky that the cosmic roll of the dice gave me that. 
I developed my phonological and phonemic awareness from being included in conversations with adults, from jokes and read-alouds. My, my family made me a book with some sight words that I recognized, and it was all about how a big pig ate Carrie-Anne's fig. Uh, I was doing really well with those IG words, and I could read my own name. I could also read mom, dad, and wow. So the beginning is like, wow, said mom, wow, said dad. And it's this like very short, uh, laminated folding book, like four pages total, maybe. But that remains the world's most perfect book, obviously. And books were discussed and were valued and given as gifts. And every single member of my family encouraged reading and wanted to be involved in my reading. And it was a big deal to get my own library card. And my dad thinks he's very funny. And his conversations with other adults were awash with wordplay and nuance. So it's entirely his fault that I enjoy punnery and other linguistic nonsense. But what all of these things did was show me how rich a life could be when infused with literacy and community. And Carolyn, too, admitted that once she met Hermione as a literary role model and was exposed to friends who were readers and writers, that she came to understand the power of a community where reading and writing are valued and that being included in that was enough of a motivator to her to want to keep going. Now, that's not to say that neither of us had to work at it. Carolyn did significantly, as you heard earlier, and I did, and I still do too. But what this culture of literary joy gave me was the ability to recognize, oh, lots of things, I, I suppose, to recognize how much I don't know, the unimaginable vastness of things I don't even know that I don't know, and Ultimately, the understanding that the more I read, the more I'll know, and the better I'll get, right? And author Zadie Smith says that the model of a reader that we've been given is someone who sits down and expects to be entertained, like when watching a TV or a movie. But she says the more classical model, which has been completely taken away, is the idea of a reader as an amateur musician. An amateur musician who sits at the piano, has a piece of music, which is the work, made by somebody they don't know, who they probably couldn't comprehend entirely, and they have to use their skills to play this piece of music. The greater the skill, the greater the gift that you give the artist and that the artist gives you. I like that. I like that a lot because Carolyn and I both found that acquiring those skills can be a challenge, but engaging with a text when there's a little bit more that you have to figure out or you have to work for it a little bit, that sort of challenge makes things feel so rewarding once you do sink into a comfort zone with it. To me, being a reader brings me to the starting line of inquiry and exploration. And I just want so badly for everyone to be able to experience that same awareness of the world, or at least the same opportunity to be involved in these conversations that span 
countries that span ages. You know, like, it's amazing to me. People wrote down stories so that I could read them. It's maybe a very egocentric approach, but if you wrote it and I can read it, it's for me, right? And Carolyn was saying that uh, in order to be a more conscious and purposeful reader, that she's been keeping track of how many books she's read, this year at least. And I think she's at 28, about to start 29. And they're mostly new reads, like nonfiction, uh, with a small handful of rereads, including Harry Potter, Narnia, and Golden Compass. Uh, a couple of those for our Shelf Expressions podcast, which you should go check out. And I personally enjoy uh, fantasy, as you know. Some realistic fiction, historical fiction, adventure stories, sci-fi, and fan works. And I've enjoyed reading since I was little, but I haven't been keeping meaningful track of the number of stories or books I've ever read, or even that I read per year. Because every time it occurs to me to do so, I feel like it's too awkward a time to start counting, like I'm in the middle of a week. And also, do rereads count? How long does a fic need to be counted as a book? Do short stories count? I've read a few new poems this year that I really have enjoyed. I've read the back of the cereal box a whole lot recently. So how am I meant to be keeping precise track? I don't know. Uh, if you know, tell me where you stand. Do you keep track of your book consumption? Do you consider yourself a lifelong reader? Did you ever struggle with reading? Please don't hesitate to share your own experience as a developing reader because if it was a book or series that really lit your fire, sharing that with other people might be the best thing you could give to them. Uh, and also, who are your literary leaders and role models? Was it a fictional character like Carolyn and Hermione? Uh, was it an author whose style moved you or hooked you? Whatever it was, let me know. So I hope you've enjoyed our conversation about the skills necessary for reading how different encounters with reading in our early years can alter our relationship with literature. And I wish for you and for everyone that you find something that speaks to you and that you're able to join this community of capital R readers because we just want the stories and we want to share them and talk about them and being part of that can be so so powerful so if you know someone who's struggling with reading please do everything you can to encourage them because uh, good role models can begin to make all the difference that's it for today's literature corner conversation I'm Carrie Ann Dillon, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Check out CarrieAnnDillon.com or send me a voice message on Anchor, and don't forget to share. See you next time.